0: We are in uh, the book of Joshua. And uh, one of the things that I've told you from the very beginning and every time that I got up here uh, was that uh, Joshua, the book of Joshua, is intense and it's filled with incredible exploits. And there are times that if you are taking the book seriously, you will find yourself at times disturbed. And maybe even deeply uh, disturbed, God has a way of uh, working through that to teach us about who He is and what He's what He's up to, and uh, it keeps definitely keeps us from getting bored for sure. You know, earlier in the series, Pastor Nick's uh, challenged us with living with true purpose, right? And here's what I want to do right off the bat here. I want to ask you a question, and I want you to take the question very seriously, take it to heart, examine your heart, examine your life. And the question is this. What is it that you are looking to to give your life meaning? What is it that you are looking to for true life? Maybe for many of you, there is something good and noble, and maybe also there are things that are not so good and noble, but you look to them anyway for life. And here's what I want to ask you. I don't, do you all have something or several somethings in your mind? My question is, is it worth the price that you are paying? Is it worth The suffering that you endure for it. Or maybe you don't even think about it, and you just drift, and you just throw yourself into your work, or you throw yourself into a party into partying, or or you, you, you chase ambition, or you default to apathy, and are suffering, or Our commitment to avoid suffering at all costs, I'm telling you, makes for an empty, hollow, shallow life. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yes, you know this. The writer of Ecclesiastes describes that life as meaningless, meaningless, meaningless all a striving after the wind. How futile is that? And it leads to cynicism and despair, and you feel lost, and it all seems pointless. For any have, have those any of those thoughts ever crawled inside your head? If not, you're probably young, and you just need to live a little bit longer, and they will. It's just a matter of time. Now that's the bad news, but the good news is this, that true purpose can be found. And true purpose is found when you realize that you are a part of something far bigger and far more significant than you ever imagined. And it starts with knowing the one at the center of the greatest story of all time. It also then leads you to realize that you've been given a mission. You've been given a mission to know God and to make Him known. To glorify God by enjoying Him forever. I'm telling you right now, no other purpose that you could possibly live for even comes close to this right here. Nothing. Our passage today points us to the greatest story and your role in it, our role in it. And the greatest story shows us who our king is so that we can know him. And that's where it all begins. First, if you're taking notes, using the outline in your bulletin, the first one is this, that our king gives generously, more more than you have ever dreamed. Starting in verse one, Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out, and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Did you notice that he uses past tense here? He uses past tense because if the Lord said it, it's as good as done, right? I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. Now commentators will point out the emphasis on the, on the number seven throughout this passage and that it reminds us of the creation account and that the king is the creator of the world and he has all authority over all of the land and now is reclaiming it and restoring his people. Verse five, when you hear When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse, and the people will go up, every man straight in. Now, put yourself in the sandals of one of these Israelites. Right? God says, I am delivering Jericho into your hands and here is the role that you are going to play. Walk around the city and blast your horns, and at my signal, have everybody shout. If I were there, I would be thinking, this is the dumbest war strategy I've ever heard in my life. Right? Not only does it sound stupid, this is reckless because this is a fortified city. Inside is the king and all his fighting men, it says. What can soldiers do from a fortified city? They can shoot arrows at you and throw spears at you and dump burning coals on you and burn you up and make you dead. The odds were impossible and losing meant dying. But they do it, no questions, no objections, with boldness and unwavering optimism. How in the world can they bring themselves to do that? They remembered the great story, and they remembered their role in it. Just a few days before, they stood on the other side of the Jordan River, and the Lord said, I'm giving you the promised land. And the promised land represented everything that they longed for. It represented life as it ought to be. But the problem was that they had to cross the Jordan River, and it was at flood stage, meaning it was raging. It was a river of death. But then the priests stepped into the river with the ark of the Lord, and in doing so, their king stepped into the river of death, and the flow of the Jordan stopped, and the water piled up in a great heap, and the Lord stood between his people and death, and they all walked safely across on dry ground. And so when God says, march around the city, they figured, God can do that. He can protect us while we march around the city like sick, sitting ducks. They remembered the great story, they remembered their role in it. And what was their role? Well, the details were these priests were to carry the ark and and blow the trumpets and shout, meaning that they were bearing the king and declaring the king. The ark shows that the king is with them and they were bearing him into the world and the trumpets were heralding that the king in all his power and in all his authority has arrived and he is the one who takes care of business and their job is to know the king and make him known to glorify God and enjoy him forever. All of this points to, and is part of the great story. One commentator says, a straight line can be drawn from Joshua to the Gospels. In the Gospels is where we see King Jesus show up in the flesh, and he shows up to give us the land. The only problem is, that between us and the promised land is the river of death. And so our king steps into the river of death. And on the cross, King Jesus stood between us and this river of death, and this river of death destroys him. But on the third day, he rose from the dead to open up a way through this river of death to the promised land. And right before his great ascension to the Father, what does Jesus say? Look what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go out into the land and make disciples of all nations. And surely I am with you always. I'm giving you the land. That is the great story. Now, here's the deal when you pledge your allegiance to King Jesus above all, above the United States, above the president, above your political party, above your cultural preferences, above the flag, above everything else, when you pledge your allegiance, first and foremost to King Jesus, you have a role to live out in God's greatest story. The apostle Peter he tells us that you are a royal priesthood. You know what that means? It means you are the king's priests, right? Priests who bear and declare the king throughout the world, that you may declare, he says, the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And I urge you to live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. I mean, Peter is saying that we're like the priests who carried the ark of the Lord and blasted the trumpets. And our part is to know him and make him known. And our weapons are not swords, they're not spears, they're not guns, they're not bombs. Our weapons are God's love and truth. It sounds crazy, it sounds scary, but you can do this with boldness, an unshakable optimism when you remember the great story and live out your role in it. So let me ask you, I want to ask you, I want you to be real honest with yourself, pray against denial, just evaluate your heart, evaluate your life. Maybe you're somebody else, you imagine you're somebody else evaluating your life. Let me ask you, are you living out your role in God's great story? Is that top priority for you? To know him and make him known. Do an honest assessment. I have to do this too, right? Are you on mission to know King Jesus and make him known with truth and love? In your home, in your neighborhood, in your work, in your recreation, wherever it is that God places you. Now, we all have heard this before, but isn't it so easy to forget? It's easy to forget, right? We need to remember who God is, and we need to remember who we are. Now, I want to show you just practically what how this plays out, what this can, can look like. I'll, I'll give you three things here, right? First of all, I mean, it's... It's first of all, it's prayer. It, you pray. Every day, before you walk out the door, maybe pray something like, you know, Jesus, thank you that I'm part of this greatest story. God, thank you that you've given me a role in your great story. God, please help me to bear your name and declare your, your glory with, with truth and, and with love. God, help me to know you and, and make you known. Will you give me, God, opportunities to represent you in the world in, in word and deed to reflect your grace to reflect your goodness. You pray for that. And I'm telling you right now, God is eager to answer those prayers. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. Especially when life gets brutal. When life kicks you to the curb and you can't see straight because of all the tears and pain. When you want to give up. But then God doesn't let you go. preserves you so you can persevere he carries you through in his strength because you don't have any God is glorified through you in that because it's not so much that you are impressive it's God that is impressive especially when people ask you about whatever it is that's different about you as you go through all this stuff and you can tell them about King Jesus and his glorious grace. Pray for that. Secondly, plan, right? What I mean is regularly evaluate your life, not just on Sunday mornings when I ask you, you know, what's going on in your heart and life. Pray for this and then plan regularly, evaluate your life and ask God, what experience has God given me? What resources has He given me? What godly desires has He placed in my heart? What gifts has He given to me? Am I using what He's so generously given to me to advance God's kingdom of grace wherever He has me? And then third partner, you don't do this on your own. You partner up with others. That's how God works in community. That's what we see in both the Old and New Testament, that we all need others in our life who will encourage us and help us pray, plan, and partner and move out on mission. So that's the first thing we we learn about King Jesus and the great story. He generously gives us the land and he gives you a role to live out in his great story. This is life as it should be. Life with King Jesus, peace with him and peace with others. Second, our king judges justly. This right here Is why we need to take our mission so seriously. This is why I hope every single one of us here in this room gets stirred up by the Holy Spirit to light us on fire to take our mission and our role in God's great story seriously because it is absolutely critical. Let me show you, verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. And the seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, So every man charged straight in and they took the city and they devoted the city to the Lord and they destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. This is the word of the Lord and we cannot ignore it. And it's about judgment. And I know a lot of very thoughtful people who say, see, that is exactly why I hate religion, this judgment stuff. Well, I know how you feel. Judgment disturbs me too, deeply. And it fills me with dread and makes me sick to think about it but I do believe in it. And here's what I realized about me and others, that most people who don't like judgment actually believe in it. And I think, you might not agree with me, but I'll show you, I think that's pretty much true of everyone. Let me show you what I mean. Most people believe, you know what, if there's a heaven, there is no way that everyone is going to get in. And then they list the usual su- suspects like, like Hitler or Osama bin Laden or, or Kim Jong-un. And I haven't met anybody who believes that Steven Paddock, the Las Vegas shooter, is going to get in, right? You see what I mean? Most people do believe in judgment. But then why in the world do we at the very same time not like this idea of judgment? Here's one reason. We're not totally sure where God draws the line. Right? What if I haven't been good enough? What if these people that I care about in my life, what, what if they haven't been good enough? See, we all know there has to be a, a judgment, but it fills us with dread. So what do we learn here about God's judgment? I think there are a few things that'll help us process this. And the first one is this. The first one is this. That judgment is really coming. The taking of Jericho, I want to say say this right now, right off the top. The taking of Jericho is not about and not promoting physical holy wars. It's not about or promoting whatever is equivalent to jihad. That is not what this is about. And people have used Old Testament passages to justify some crazy things. The taking of Jericho is about the coming final judgment. What God did in Jericho here is an invasion of the final judgment into the present of that time. In the Old Testament, God gives us real historical previews of the coming judgment. Why does he do that? He does that to warn us He's sent us, look, you need to understand. This is really going to happen. I've told you and I've shown you there really will be a final judgment. You need to listen to me. You need to pay attention. God justly judges those who shut the door on him. We see in the first verse, Jericho was tightly shut up. No one went out and no one came in. In the Old Testament times when the author adds details that aren't necessary for the flow of the story, those details are not only historical, but they also often are symbolic. The people of Jericho have shut their hearts, their minds, their lives to the Lord, and they didn't want to have anything to do with him. Now we know from previous chapters that they heard about the Lord. They heard about how he delivered his people from, from Egypt and how he brought them through the Red Sea and then how God destroyed their enemies who had enslaved them and oppressed them for so long. And then they had this, the, this, this great deliverance. And then they also knew about the crossing of the Jordan on dry, dry ground just like the Red Sea. This filled Jericho with fear. They knew about this and the response was not humble hearts it was hard hearts they'd rather die than bow before the true king they'd, they'd rather die than receive mercy from him but even then even then God is slow to judge Seven days, seven priests, seven horns. On the seventh day, seven laps. Now, not only does the number seven point us to the creation and therefore has the right as the creator to judge, but the number seven here also is a number that, that represents completeness and fullness. In other words, God gives Jericho and God gives us complete and full amount of time and opportunity to repent. God is not quick to judge. He's quick to forgive. He is long-suffering with us, and he gives us every opportunity to repent of our hardness of heart and to receive his mercy. And in this story, it's saying that there is no one in Jericho that if they were given more time would repent. At some point, judgment will come. It would be unloving not to talk about this. Those who have refused to allow God to come into their lives will finally get what they want. God will leave them alone. He will not be their king. And they turn their back on the king's protection from judgment. So I'm asking you as as a friend, not as some preacher that's trying to throw down hellfire and brimstone and all that kind. Of, I'm asking you as a friend, as a, as a friend who, who loves you, who wants the best for you, have you shut out the Lord? Have you shut him out? Now look, look I know, if, if you have, I know I know that there could be contributing factors here. I know that it's very likely that you've been deeply hurt by religious hypocrites, people who acted holier than thou, people who were judgmental towards you and condemned you in the name of the Lord. Or maybe you, you, you suffered a painful loss and, and you blame God for, for not preventing that. And maybe your anger and your mistrust of a wicked dad has corrupted your view of our Heavenly Father. I know those things hurt deeply, but I am begging you, please don't let those things become infinitely more hurtful by letting them deceive you and separate you from God. And I'm telling you, as much as you hate those horrible things that have happened to you, those things that have hardened your heart, I want you to know that God hates those things even more than you do. He created this world to be a place of peace, a place of goodness, and a place of, of, of righteousness. I mean, can you imagine how the Creator grieves over the brokenness of this world? So I'm begging you this morning, open the door to him. Yes, tell him your doubts, tell him your hurts, tell him your fears, tell him your objections, and then look to the cross. Because the cross shows you just how much he hates evil, suffering, and death. He hates it so much that he took it upon himself so that it would be destroyed on the cross without destroying us. This holy war, its not a physical holy war, it's a spiritual holy war. And it's against evil and death and brokenness. God provides the solution to it all and then finally our king saves graciously saves graciously you know this this kind of spiritual holy war is not against it's not us Christians against non-Christians and so many churches have adopted that posture God has called us to be involved in this process. This work that he's doing, that our king is doing, our king saves graciously. This brings us to Rahab. We looked ahead to this part a few weeks ago. The Spies going to Jericho. They, they went to the door of Rahab and, and she opened the door. She said, you know what? I heard about the Lord and his greatness. I, I, he, he is... I believe he is God of heaven and earth. Have mercy on me for the Lord's sake. And these spies make a vow to her that they will. Verse 22, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. And so the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Now, what in the world is going on here? Why does God spare Rahab? And why does God keep emphasizing that, that he saved Rahab while she was still living as a prostitute? That's highlighted here. God is driving home a critical, critical point. A point that most people don't get. Remember remember how I was saying how most people, even though they don't like the idea, most people do believe in judgment that if there is a heaven, not everyone gets in. Most people believe that God will let the good people in and not the bad people in. But this right here totally blows that up. Totally blows it up. Rahab was spared while everyone else in, in Jericho was, was judged. Most people in Jericho did not live this kind of life, but Rahab enters the promised land, and then everyone else falls out of the sword. So, what's the point? The point is that salvation is a gift of grace. It doesn't depend on what you do. It doesn't depend on what you don't do. It depends on what God has done for us. That is grace. God does not crave on a curve. Jesus tells us that God demands perfection. Look, look what he said. Jesus of Nazareth said, "'Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect.'" Who here is perfect? Raise your hand. No one, right? We can't live up to God's standard. For anyone to be saved, it has to be a gift of grace and it is received by faith. Faith in the king who saves. Everyone else in Jericho refused to receive the Lord by faith, but Rahab believed and was saved because she trusted in the king who saves. Now that sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? How is this even possible? Well, it's true and we know it's true because there is another time when the king marched outside the city walls, but this time the walls did not come down for him. There was another time when the final judgment invaded the world and time. In space, But this time it did not fall on God's enemies. There's another time when the people shouted, but this time it was not a shout of victory. The people shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And the king marched up a hill, and at the top of the hill he was enthroned on a cross. Darkness fell on the land, and the earth shook, and the king cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, the final judgment fell upon the king. And he was plunged into the fiery darkness of judgment. Why? Because it was the only way to save us. God took the judgment that we deserved so that we could get everything that he deserves the riches of Christ. And so the moment that you put your simple, weak, wavering faith in King Jesus, who died for you, I'm telling you, everything changes. Everything changes. First and foremost, you are right with God now and forever. And then you become a part of his great story and you are given a role to play in that great story. And my question for you is you do my question is, do you all do you all believe that this morning? Do you believe that you are part of the great story? Do you believe that you have a role in it? And my next question is: are you living it? Is it your highest priority? If you You are a follower of King Jesus, and it's not your highest priority. God graciously, in His love and in His kindness, invites us to repent of that very specifically and to take steps of faith, action. And my my question for you is what is the Holy Spirit stirring up in your heart right now? What is it He's calling you to start doing or stop doing just for His glory, not out of guilt? but out of gratitude and out of the knowledge that there's nothing more important, nothing more meaningful, nothing more purposeful than to know Christ and to make him known. If this morning you're here and you have not yet trusted Jesus as your Savior and King, I'm begging you to trust him today. And I know you have doubts, hurts, objections, Welcome to the club. We all do, but here's what I know. You will not find a better savior. You will not find a better king. Nothing and no one even comes close. It is a step of faith, but who else can you turn to? What else can you look to? There is no one else like Jesus. Trust him and follow him. Trust him today. Don't wait. For those of you who have already trusted in him, remember, remember your role in God's advancing kingdom of grace. Remember, will you remember this morning who you are? You are are a missionary of God's truth, love, and grace and part of a missionary team, a missionary community. I'm telling you, your role is going to look different than somebody else's. It looks different from person to person, and you don't have to do this on your own. But when you come to grips with who God is and who you are, his role and your role, you can throw yourself into this with joy and with boldness and unwavering optimism. You know why? Because ultimately, you really don't have anything to be afraid of. You Ultimately, you, you have nothing to worry about. Nothing. Because death does not have the last word. And the promised land is already yours. You can't lose it. And you are going to live with the king forever. And what you do tomorrow morning, what you do for the rest of the week, I'm telling you, counts for all eternity. What's better than that? That doesn't depend on you, but God gives us the privilege to be a part of what he's doing. It's part of my job to call you to that. That's why we do mission updates. And I ask you, you know, here are some opportunities. What role are you going to play? Here's some needs. What role are you going to play? We're in this together. That's why we do this. The stakes are too high to just coast through this and just go through religious motions. It's critical. And we need to encourage each other and spur one another onto good works to represent Jesus wherever he's placed us to bear and declare King Jesus and his kingdom of grace, to know him and make him known, to glorify him and enjoy him forever, to live that out. So my encouragement to you is tomorrow morning, pray, plan, and partner to be used by God to make the greatest difference in the world that you could ever make. And it lasts forever. Amen? Amen? Would you please bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. You are so gracious to us. God, we thank you that you not only declared a a holy war against evil, death, and darkness, and brokenness, you accomplished victory. And you did it through weakness. You're such an amazing, generous God, and we praise you for that. God, I pray that you would give us greater clarity on who you are and what you've done and what you're doing We get distracted so easily. And we allow ourselves to be enslaved by idols of the heart that rob us of time and joy. They rob us of our mission. God, help us to know that all good things come from you, but they can never satisfy the way that you satisfy us and give us contentment and peace and joy. God, I pray for every single person here this morning that you would bless them with a greater knowledge of you, to know you better than ever before, and that you would stir within all of us a desire to make you known, to play our role in your greatest story forgive us for when we are distracted or prioritize our security or our comfort above what you've called us to to know you first and foremost and to make you known God I pray if there's anybody here that has not put their faith and trust in you God I pray that you would give them the gift of faith. Only you can breathe life into them, open their eyes, give them eyes to see so that they are irresistibly drawn to you. God, please, give them the courage to follow you and trust you this morning and God for the rest of us God not on not because of my words but because of your word we pray that we would love you more than anything and anyone else that we would live for your purposes above all others. And may we do that together as a family. God, change us this morning. Make us more like our great high priest. We pray these things in your name.